gentlemen, direct from a record-breaking two million years at the bottom of the evolutionary ladder, let's hear it for... Davy. Davy Crockett. King of the Wild Frontier. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Greenest state in the land of the free. From the sea to the skies, there's a force beyond our prize. Feel the flow, here we go through the universe of energy. Everyone's got a laughing place, a laughing place. Sun bonnets from the Sunshine State, Bunny, Bubbles, and WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 145 for the week of November 15th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again. This week's show looks at a unique character connection in Walt Disney World, as the individual in question may have been one found in Disney films, but was also one that started a cultural phenomenon and was not really a character at all, but an historical American folk hero. Of course, he is Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, and he and his trademark coonskin cap were popularized by Disney on TV in the mid-1950s. He also has many connections to Walt Disney World as well. And this week, I'm joined by one of the foremost experts on Davy Crockett and longtime Walt Disney World fan to explore his connections in and around the parks. Listen for more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett King of the wild frontier Fought single-handed through the Indian War Till the creeks was wet And peace was as you know, you've heard me say countless times that everything that you see and experience here in Walt Disney World is all about story. And many times that story doesn't necessarily come from fantasy or from the mind of an Imagineer or a modern-day storyteller, but sometimes it comes from folklore and sometimes even from real American history. And that holds very, very true 
Well, while we're here sitting in Frontierland in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, because there are so many ties to real American history and so many wonderful hidden treasures scattered throughout Frontierland. And one of the most famous and unfortunately overlooked is a reference to a true American hero and legend and somebody who, if you're a Disney fan, you're obviously very familiar with probably, and that's the legend of Davy Crockett. And today, I'm joined by probably the foremost expert on Davy Crockett, Bill Chamurk. And I, Bill, I want to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you, Lou. It's a pleasure to be here with you right here in Frontierland. And uh, hey, just a few minutes ago, we heard the, the ballad of Davy Crockett being played in the background. That was a nice, a nice intro. Yeah, we've had a couple of, of great smiles this morning as we've already passed by some of the things that we're going to talk about on the show. But before we talk about the things here in Walt Disney World, and, and I want to talk about Davy Crockett specifically, tell us a little bit about your background because you really go all the way back to sort of the modern-day interest in, in Davy Crockett back in the 50s. Correct. I'm one of those uh, baby boomers who, on the night of December 15, 1954, saw the first episode in the classic Walt Disney Davy Crockett trilogy, Davy Crockett Indian Fighter, starring Fess Parker, who would later become our king of the wild frontier. And that episode, of course, is going to be followed by Davy Crockett Goes to Congress on, uh, that was the 26th of January, 1955, and on February 23rd, 1955, the very important and very almost traumatic Davy Crockett at the Alamo, in which uh, Davy meets his end at the, with Santa Ana's soldiers at the Shrine of Texas Liberty. And tell us about how you sort of grew from the child who was obviously fascinated the first time you see it on TV to somebody who, five decades later, is really one of the foremost experts on Davy Crockett and more importantly, you're very much not just an expert, but you're still a fan. You're, you've got your Davy Crockett pin on, and you smiled when the ballad of Davy Crockett played overhead. Correct. This uh, One of my Davy Crockett pins is always on us uh, when my wife and I are here, our four times a year visit to Walt Disney World. So it's important that there is this uh, connection. The key thing about it is uh, Davy Crockett, of course, was a real historical character, and unlike many other characters that Walt Disney has covered and produced over the years, there was a real sense that once the three episodes were finished, that we as young kids could go back to libraries and read more about Davy Crockett and his contemporaries, Andrew Jackson, other people of the West, Annie Oakley and Buffalo Bill. So it was great that Disney concentrated on a real person with a real life that was extremely interesting, to say the least. Yeah, and the fascinating thing to me, and we talked about this a little bit, earlier was that I think if you poll, and I said, you know, kids under 18, you said, well, maybe even people under 30, and asked them about Davy Crockett, I bet you many of them would say, well, yeah, they either don't know who he is, or he was a character created by Disney, or yeah, he's the guy who said the old Explorer Canoes, people have said that about Walt Disney, kids don't realize, and I think that, like I said, it was great that Disney continues with their storytelling to make connections to real people from history. Of course, uh, part of that problem comes from Davy Crockett, the man himself, who was the first American celebrity. Uh, we can maybe say that about Benjamin Franklin, but uh, Ben Franklin never went to Congress. Davy Crockett had almanacs published in his name. Uh, his autobiography was written in 1834, and ghost-written books were written by him before and after his death at the Alamo. A very incredible character. Uh, and in fact, he's even portrayed on stage for decades after his death. So 
Davy Crockett has been celebrated in song, prose, poetry, film, plays, every decade since his death in 1836. Right, like I was, I was about to say, we're talking about a character that existed hundreds of years ago, but when he's sort of reintroduced to the modern generation in the 50s, it creates a phenomenon. You know, we talk about modern franchises like Pirates of the Caribbean or Hannah Montana or whatever it might be and, and sort of the genesis of how those things have exploded. But you look back to the 50s when something like that hadn't really happened before, this character, and I put that sort of in air quotes, is reintroduced and this phenomenon, starting off with a simple coonskin cap, takes over America. Uh, take over, well said, Lou. Um, when I was growing up, the thing I can recall is uh, everybody in your family was either a World War II veteran of just uh, five or six or seven years removed, or you watched old TV shows about cowboys. But a frontier character firing flintlock rifles, wearing buckskin clothing, not 10-gallon hats, this was something brand new. And the character, portrayed by Fess Parker, brought it so well to life. He became the perfect embodiment of, of uh, Davy Crockett. So when you, see, when you see this as a kid, because I obviously um, just missed the 1950s by, by a few years, you know, what's that like to when you see somebody like this? Again, the 50s, there's nothing like this. There's nothing like the, these frontier heroes. I mean, this is sort of the introduction of the first real American hero, like you said, to young boys and even young girls. Of course, the problem is when that first episode was over, you want to go outside and play Davy Crockett, but there's no merchandise. In fact, Disney had no merchandise at that time. As um, various producers start calling him up, and he authorized about over 120 items. But, of course, Davy Crockett was a generic 19th century character, and that wasn't copywritten. So thousands of items were made with the generic Davy Crockett character on them. By the time that Disney repeated the three original series in the spring of 1955, merchandising started to hit the stores, and by Christmas, there was a deluge of key Davy Crockett items. Well, the fascinating thing to me is that you said there were three episodes. We're not talking about this long-running TV series that spans six, seven seasons. We're talking three episodes that air on TV. Correct. Uh, and Disney, of course, is making the first miniseries in TV history. Three episodes about the life of a real person, Davy Crockett. But when Davy Crockett, when the character is killed at the Alamo, what do you do? The genius of Walt Disney, we're going to have two episodes about his life before the Alamo, before the Creek Indian War. And so, in November of 1955, we get Davy Crockett's keelboat race, followed by, in December, Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Of course, Disney photographs them, of course, in color film, re-edits those in a 1956, releases that as a motion picture, Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. And then we said not too long ago they released not all of these, but some of these on some of the Walt Disney Treasures DVDs? Yes, the first three episodes, about 99.9% of the original footage, some of it in sepia tone, is released on the Disney Treasures, superbly edited by uh, Skip Malinowski. And so we're here, obviously, in Frontierland in the Magic Kingdom because we were talking about sort of this character connection. And again, I almost hate to use character because he was a real person, but there are so many wonderful tributes to Davy Crockett and to the series 
throughout Walt Disney World, not just here in Frontierland. And, and before we sort of make our way back here, let's sort of go outside the Magic Kingdom and head on over to one of the resorts because obviously I think for a lot of people, the first connection that they make is over at Crockett's Tavern at Fort Wilderness. Oh, Crockett's Tavern is a wonderful place. And in fact, it's more wonderful than it's ever been because this year it got an interior makeover where the Crockett items have been uh, reorganized in a wonderful display case. All of the Crockett things are kind of concentrated in one area. Uh, All of the Mountain Man, the later 19th century items, have been removed, and it's really a a first-rate visit. We were very surprised and happy the other day when we were there to see this uh, wonderful makeover. A real salute to Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And this is like a pilgrimage that your wife, you, you and your wife make every year. Make sure you hit Crockett's Tavern. Uh, this is again, this is a four times a year pilgrimage to all things Davy Crockett at Walt Disney World. And you, uh, I have to say thank you because you actually gave me an incredible souvenir. I'm such a collector of old Walt Disney World memorabilia, and you gave me an old Crockett's Tavern napkin. And we were speaking earlier about how merchandise for many years was not generic. It was very specific to where you went, and there's the Crockett's Tavern napkins, and there were other items that you'd find, including things to to eat and drink, specifically at Crockett's Tavern. Yes. uh, Years ago, uh, some of the more um, elaborate drinks that would be embellished by fruit were secured to the drink uh, sides by the the glasses by small little plastic uh, Davy Crockett coonskin caps and then red stick headdresses, the Indian that he battled in the uh, first episode back in 1954. And uh, obviously Crockett's Tavern, it, you know, it, it, has, it has a bar and it serves appetizers and nachos and pizza, but what kind of items should people go and look for if they head on over to... I think uh, there's a wonderful life-size uh, painting of uh, Fest Parker's Davy Crockett that's just, just quite wonderful. There's a fine display case with a, an original reprint of an 1834 painting of the original Davy Crockett, uh, lyrics to the song Farewell that are attributed to the real Davy Crockett, uh, an excerpt from his speech that Crockett gave uh, in the Davy Crockett Goes to Congress episode. A, there's a postcard from the Crockett Tavern in Morristown, Tennessee, and other wonderful items there. Even a, a sketch of Andy Jackson, of Buddy Epson playing George Russell, Fess uh, Parker's sidekick, and a few other items about the Alamo as well. Excellent. Again, and I encourage people to go and seek these things out because they are really hidden treasures, and unfortunately, I think so many guests overlook them. And But before we get back to the Magic Kingdom, there are some other uh, original Davy Crockett items that people can find in another theme park that's over in Disney's Hollywood Studios. We actually just talked about One Man's Dream not too long ago on the show. Yeah. One Man's Dream, of course, is the one place that every visitor to Walt Disney World should visit before they do anything. But in there is a tribute. Uh, it was one of the showcases near the before you go into the theater, which features several original Davy Crockett collectibles. Uh, most currently, uh, there's a, a plate and a bowl, uh, one of the Davy Crockett books, uh, one of the new imitation coonskin caps, uh, the Frontier Punch-Out Kit. But uh, surprisingly, there's more Zorro items in there. Uh, and there's even a Davy Crockett at the Alamo Dell comic from 1955 that is 90% covered up by a Spin and Marty comic book, believe it or not. In fact, there's so many Crockett items that you could probably take everything out of the One Man's Dream exhibit and fill it up with Crockett items and still not have enough space to put everything in there. One of the things I was going to talk about later, but as we talk about One Man's Dream and sort of the museum quality of it, I, I mentioned that 
having been to the D23 Expo in, in California back in September, they opened up the archives and brought out some fascinating and beautiful pieces that were in there. One of which that had really a, a piece of prominence right up in front was one of Davy Crockett's original coonskin caps. Again, that single item that kids saw on TV that started a, a cultural phenomenon in this country. Correct. Uh, of course, the raccoon population suffered a terrible blow <laughs> in 1955 in the United States. The price of those coonskin caps skyrocketed. Uh, and, of course, today you can still buy an imitation coonskin cap um, over at uh, in Frontierland, where we are now, or over at uh, Fort Wilderness. All right, so let's sort of make our way back to Frontierland. And let's sort of, let's go backwards before we come full circle and talk about, obviously, one of the most obvious references to Davy Crockett. Unfortunately, one that is no longer here. That was Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes. And I'm smiling because I just thought that this was a fascinating attraction, one in which was unique not only because of, of what you saw, but really because the guests were the attraction themselves to a certain degree. Correct. Uh, my wife Debbie and I were at the Disneyland last year, and uh, she was taking my picture as I was manning the oar at the uh, Explorer Canoes in Disneyland. Unfortunately, they're not here anymore, uh, and they're a very visible symbol of, of Crockett here at Walt Disney World. Um, and the unique thing is that when the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes opened here at Walt Disney World, it was the very first day that Walt Disney World opened. Surprisingly, the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes did not open on day one at Disneyland. They actually came about a year later, and they were actually the uh, Indian Warrior Canoes and were later designated as Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. The same thing can be said of... Uh, those old Mike Fink keelboats as well, which sailed here in Disney World and are no longer sailing, unfortunately, uh, because of an accident that happened way back in Disneyland when they when they one of them turned over in May of 1997. Those were two very visual symbols of the Davy Crockett series, and to this day at Disneyland, the Davy Crockett Explorer canoes are the only form of transportation that are powered by guests. Yeah, and I mean, that wasn't, like I said, an opening day. It was a sea ticket attraction, so that was pretty much a big deal. The keelboats also, not so, that was a B ticket attraction. Um, and although you can't really find much in the way of reference to the old Explorer canoes, if you head on over towards the Haunted Mansion today and look to the left, you can see the dock, you can see the loading area, you can also see the shack, which was a gift shop that, again, at the time, sold very specific Crockett, you know, merchandise. Yes, uh, the old Mike Fink keelboats, the key connection there was, of course, Mike Fink was Davy Crockett's adversary in Davy Crockett's keelboat race, that episode. And the great thing about what Walt Disney World did was as you are taking the keelboat ride, the driver and narrator is weaving a story about Davy Crockett and Mike Fink and their contests on the river. So it was a wonderful story. It was entertaining in the most 19th and 20th and 21st century way. And they were dressed appropriately. And even the script sort of weaved in the southern drawl and the accents and some of the, the common ways that they were speaking. Again, a very much of an immersive experience, different than anything else you got to see as you traveled on the rivers of America. 
Correct. Uh, there's a certain amount of humor, as everyone knows, when you take that Adventureland jungle cruise. But there's, there was some unique 19th century humor that was thrust into the script of the old Mike Fink killboats. It was absolutely wonderful, especially for baby boomers such as I. Right, and the, uh, there were two boats. There was the Gully Wumper and the Bertha May. And the Gully Wumper and the Bertha May, and eventually, actually, the first two Bertha, the Bertha May and the Gully Wumper at Disneyland were the original boats that were used in the episodes. And again, the unique thing about both of those was that unlike something like the Liberty Bell, which goes around on a track, they sort of followed a similar path, but the canoes, canoes were obviously powered by humans, and the keelboats just sort of went on their own way, and they both offered uh, such a, an amazing experience, nothing like what you get today. Correct. Uh, if they wanted to be as authentic as possible, they would need poles. The pole men would use those poles, put them down in the muddy river bottom, and kind of push that boat along. One can only imagine what would happen if they had that as an attraction. In fact, I had the pleasure of speaking with Fess Parker just a few weeks ago about the Davy Crockett keelboat episodes. And I said, Fess, what's the one thing you remember about that episode the most? And he said, the thing that I remember most are all the men who are Mike Fink's men and Captain Cobb's men who were falling off all the time into the river, and they couldn't swim. So a lot of production time was halted because they were rescuing these men who were floating down the river. That's too funny. And, and I've, I've heard a story, and I can only assume it's true. I've actually seen a photo that supposedly before the Magic Kingdom opened, the Gully Wumper and the Birth of May were actually used on the Seven Seas Lagoon to transport cast back and forth. And there's a photo that I've seen where one of the boats is actually sort of runs aground. And much like Davy Crockett and Mike Fink would have had to do, they've got the long pole trying to push it off the, the banks. Even here in the 21st century, we can still see a miniature detailed version of the Gully Wumper in a beautiful glass showcase at the Crockett Tavern. Excellent. See, now again, something else to go and look forward to um, while you're snacking at the taverns. All right. So staying here, modern day, uh, Frontierland, and uh, I'm saving the best for last, I think. Some place that I think a lot of people might not realize they can get a, uh, a reference to Davy Crockett is over at the Country Bear Jamboree. Uh, the Country Jamboree. The Country Bear Jamboree is, remains one of the most wonderful elements of Walt Disney World. Wonderful story, wonderful music, and the conclusion of the Country Bear Jamboree is the singing of some of the lyrical lines of the Ballad of Davy Crockett in a very fun-filled and humorous way. And again, I like how you sort of smirked as you say part of the lyrics of the Ballad of Davy Crockett. Born on the mountaintop in Tennessee, greenest state in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree. Tamed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Off in the woods he's marching along, making up yarns and singing a song. It's perfect, Wait a minute. Hold the phone down there. You've had your turn Henry. now. Henry, leading help. Right, Sammy. But again, the music that you that you reference, that you can hear them singing there, we can get elements of in the background music here in Frontierland, and, and we were smiling before as we heard it. Yeah, the Ballad of Davy Crockett, uh, arguably one of the most successful songs ever on the Billboard charts, 
uh, is, of course, that key aspect that kept all of the episode segments together. Uh, written by uh, Tom Blackburn, who was the screenplay writer for Davy Crockett, and George Bruns, who did the music. Uh, if you enter the Magic Kingdom and you stand at the corner of the barber shop in the Emporium, there's one of the uh, windows dedicated to George Bruns. It says Music Rolls. Uh, you can also hear the ballad of Davy Crockett in the background uh, of the music playing here in Frontierland. And you can even hear the song Bang Goes Old Betsy Inside Big Thunder Mountain, written by George Bruns and uh, Hazel Gilman George. Excellent, excellent. And like I said, I, I think we're saving the best for last because we're sitting here in Frontierland outside, and I, I always have to bring it back to food, outside one of my favorite places to eat, and it's Pecos Bill's Tall Tale Inn and Cafe. And I've actually done a whole show on this before about some of the amazing references to characters, both real and imagined, in here. And you can find them throughout all the different rooms on the walls and people like Wild Bill Hickok and, and Pecos Bill himself. But there's a room in the back that I think is, is often overlooked and there are some wonderful uh, tributes to Davy Crockett there. Correct. And uh, the Pecos Bill Cafe is uh, right across the street. Uh, there happens to be a little uh, stand that sells, uh, well, it used to be like authentic-looking Davy Crockett old Betsy rifles, but now they're in kind of like red and, and teal. Uh, <laughs> but inside here, in this one back room, you'll see a small little leather identification tag that says Davy Crockett. You'll see a hunting bag and a powder horn there. On the adjacent wall are plans for one of Davy Crockett's rifles, Old Betsy, and the most obscure, the so-called holy grail of all things Davy Crockett here at Walt Disney World, on a shelf above the name tag George Russell. That was, of course, Fess Parker's buddy, Buddy Epson's character, George E. Russell, in the Davy Crockett series. There's a shelf, and on top of that shelf there's a folded-up letter and it happens to be a letter written by George E. Russell on May 25th, 1825, which describes, shot by shot, the big flintlock shooting contest between Davy Crockett and Bigfoot Mason. And if you're careful and you can read the bottom of that letter, you'll find out how that shooting match ended. And see, I think that that's fascinating because 99.9% .9 of the guests don't ever see that. I've been in this restaurant <clears throat> a lot of times and I've never noticed the letter as well and, and I think that's why I wanted to do this because I want people to not only understand not first of all I want them to find these wonderful tributes that the Imaginers leave here but understand the connection and hopefully it'll inspire somebody to go back and say hey you know what my dad watched Davy Crockett and I heard him talk about it let me go look at some of the DVDs let me go read about him you know online uh, more and more books are coming out every day about Davy Crockett. Uh, the latest book is called David Crockett in Congress, The Rise and Fall of the Poor Man's Friend. I uh, spoke to the authors, Alan Weiner and Jim Boylson, about this, and I said, after you did your new book, of all the people who have played Davy Crockett on screen, who comes closest to the real Davy Crockett? And they both said, Fess Parker. And Fess Parker is still doing his thing, moving forward. He, he went from shooting rifles to making wine. He has his winery now. And, and I think, and listen, if that's how people find him now and sort of trace him back to Davy Crockett and, and find out all the, uh, the wonderful things that were done back then, then great. Uh, but you also 
put out a publication called the Crockett Chronicles, really dedicated to the life of David Crockett. Tell us a little about the Crockett Chronicle. Uh, the Crockett Chronicle is a spin-off of my major quarterly, the Alamo Journal, which is the official publication of the Alamo Society, alamosociety.org. Um, I had so much information about Davy Crockett over the years that um, I had the idea, why not spin off its own publication? So the publication is dedicated to the life and legend of Davy Crockett. So it's the Davy Crockett of history and the Davy Crockett of popular culture. Uh, Fess Parker does uh, a question and answer column called Talking with Fess every issue. And uh, we've been conducting these interviews every year since 1987. And you have some wonderful historical documents and references and stories in here. Really, it's something nice. And, and what I think maybe people don't realize is, and, and hopefully if somebody's listening that does have an interest, is that these groups and these publications do exist. And there are many, many people who aren't just children of the 50s, but even today have an interest in this. Yeah, and the, the main thing, there are little kids growing up with... Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other fictitious characters, even Harry Potter. But when the, uh, the videos, the DVDs end, what do the kids do? At least with Davy Crockett, we could explore the history of the United States. And that's what I was going to say, you know, thinking about, because we were talking before and I said, you know, I, did they release everything or were they able to somehow bring back maybe a resurgence or reintroduce the character to younger kids? And if they did... How do you think he might hold up to this younger PSP, Xbox, iPod, iPhone generation? I still don't think there's anything more exciting than to hear, see, smell a flintlock rifle going off, to see someone dressed up in a real buckskin outfit, someone wearing a powder horn, holding on to a tomahawk, talking about the life on the frontier, because those folks could survive. They didn't need electricity. They didn't need much of anything. And it's folks like Davy Crockett and people from his generation who helped create the America that we live in today. We're always thankful for him and always thankful for Walt Disney for bringing the life and legend of Davy Crockett alive. And that's why I like the character. I like the references here. And I like the fact that we're able to sit and do this because Disney was able to bring history to life for kids. It wasn't just a story you read in a book. It was something you're able to see on screen. And again, hopefully bring about some of that interest and I agree with you because if we were to walk by the Frontierland shooting arcade right now you would see kids trying desperately to hold up that giant rifle and shoot targets on an attraction that save for getting rid of the lead pellets hasn't changed really at all since 1971 uh, yeah, my wife always has to sit by and watch me as I uh, always go on that always try to get the 35 out of 35 shooting Frontier style and uh, sometimes people look at me and say, wow, what, what's that all about? Of course, it takes me about five minutes to get my iPod to work, but uh, that's a tale, another tall tale for another day, Lou. Yeah. Well, but that's what it's all about, is the ability for all of us to, to never grow up and, never, and, and to relive our childhood and be kids again. And, uh, and I think this is great, and I hope this inspires people to come and look for some of the things that we talked about. Introduce maybe the character to their kids. You know, once you show them, some of the things they'll find here. Tell them who Davy Crockett was. Get him a coonskin cap. You never know. You can still, like I said, you can still get him here in Frontierland and maybe make their way over to Crockett's Tavern. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or the Crockett Chronicle, where would they go? They can go to thealamosociety.org. They can click on that. Uh, they'll find a connection to me or 
Just Google Chemerka, C-H-E-M-E-R-K-A, and they'll get in contact with me. I'll be sure and link all the stuff up in the show notes. Bill, I, I appreciate so much you taking time out of your, your quarterly pilgrimage, as it were, to all things Crockett for, uh, for helping show us the character connection here at Walt Disney World. Lou, I appreciate that very much, and um, I got tongue-tied a few times here, probably not because I'm talking about Davy Crockett, because I'm in so in awe of your flawless <laughs> delivery here doing these numerous interviews. So uh, I always have a respect for Davy Crockett, but now I have an added respect for you, Lou. All the best. And remember, Davy Crockett's motto, be always sure you're right, then go ahead. Excellent. Thanks so much, Bill. You're quite welcome. That's going to do it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed our look at Davy Crockett and his connection to Walt Disney World. Thanks to my guest, Bill Chamurka. You can find him over at alamosociety.org. There you can find the Alamo Journal, the quarterly journal where he is the publisher and editor of since 1986. Also, speaking of thanks, big thanks go to everybody who came by the live show this past Thursday at WDW Radio Live. Had a great time spending a few hours doing a live video broadcast and chat with you. Look for another one coming in the next few weeks as well. Also, thank you to everybody who came by the meet of the month this past Saturday in Walt Disney World and Fantasyland. Had a great time having a chance to meet so many new friends over in Fantasyland. Thank you so much for coming by. If you missed this past meet of the month, the next one is going to be Friday, December 11th. I don't have a specific date, uh, a time, and place as yet, but it will be late enough in the afternoon, but early enough in the evening, so that if you are looking to go to Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party that night, you will have plenty of time. Stay tuned, as I'll post updates as exactly when and where that's going to be very, very soon. Also that weekend, don't forget, we have our first celebrations meet, which is going to be Sunday, December 13th. That's going to be in France, in World Showcase at 2 p.m., there you'll be able to meet Tim Foster, other subscribers to the magazine. And speaking of which, Tim and I will also be there Saturday, December 12th in Walt Disney World, but we'll be at the NFFC Club for Disneyana Enthusiasts Show and Sale, which is an all-Disneyana show at Regal Sun in downtown Disney. I'll be there. Tim is going to be there. There's likely going to be lots of other authors as well. The show and sale opens to the public at 10 a.m., it concludes at 4 p.m. There's free parking and admission is only $5 for the show and sale. For more information, you can visit the NFFC website at nffc.org. We recently announced the dates for the WDW Radio Cruise aboard the Disney Dream. That is going to be a four-night cruise in February 27th, 2011 aboard the all-new Disney Dream. The response has been phenomenal. So if you are thinking or want to find out more about coming on the Disney Dream with us, 
visit www.radiocruise.com. There you'll find more information, deck plans, photos, videos, so much more, as well as a booking form. Remember, if you are contemplating coming, it does seem to be booking up very, very fast. I suggest booking now. Remember, you can get a full refund up to about 120 days out prior to sailing. So if you're thinking about it, I suggest locking in now before rates go up, categories sell out, etc. If you want to volunteer your time and your talents and help out by being part of the WDW Radio team, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you could submit a form. I am looking for some specific help in a number of different areas. If you're interested in helping out, please come by, submit the form, and I'll get back to you as quickly as possible. Don't forget, if you have any questions that you want answered on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air yourself, you can always call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. You can call in with questions, comments, just a hello from the parks. You know we always love hearing from you. If you aren't following me on Twitter, head on over to twitter.com, sign up for a free account, follow my updates at twitter.com slash lumangelo. Also, if you're on Facebook, come by, friend me up there, and join the WDW Radio Show fan page as well. All these ways are the best and easiest ways to get instant updates as to what's going on with the show. Links to all these right on the homepage of WDWRadio.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. You can go and visit Becky and her team over at MouseFanTravel.com. I'm actually recording from an all-star vacation home. They have more than 150 homes within five miles of Walt Disney World. Everything from condos up to seven-bedroom homes. You can visit them over at AllStarVacationHomes.com. And, of course, if you're interested in buying or selling Disney Vacation Club through retail, you can visit Chantel and her team over at DVCByResale.com. To order back issues or subscribe or want to contribute to Celebrations Magazine, come by and visit CelebrationsPress.com. And finally, as always, my friends, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show on iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook and come join the WDW Radio Show forums over at WDWRadio.com. And of course, thank you as always for taking the time and tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Also, if you can, don't forget, voting has begun for the podcast awards. And as I mentioned last week, it's an honor to have been nominated for Best Travel Podcast for 2009. So if you can, please go and visit podcastawards.com every day as you can vote once per day per valid email address. WDW Radio was nominated in the travel category. It's in the bottom right-hand side. All you do is click on WDW Radio, put in your valid email address because they will send you a link that you'll have to click on and confirm. In order to confirm your vote, remember you can vote every day until November 30th. I appreciate any help and support that you can give in that regard. And as always, remember, always keep moving forward. Take that first step tomorrow towards following your dream. And have a great week, everybody. Thanks again. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Nick Chappell from Virginia. I'm just hanging out on the uh, the patio of our room at the Wilderness Lodge Resort. We just left your meet of the month over in the Magic Kingdom not too long ago. Thanks again for stopping by to say hello. 
And uh, do not forget those uh, few top tens I told you about, top ten views in Disney, the top ten appetizers, and the top ten shops. I think there's a lot of promise in some of those, and like you said, the top ten views, you might have to break it down to be a little more specific because there could literally be hundreds of views in Disney World, as I'm looking at right now off of the balcony of the uh, Wilderness Lodge. Uh, thanks again for uh, stopping by to say hello at the meet, and we'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. It's uh, Brian. And uh, just, uh, well, actually, it's funny. Today is uh, actually my birthday, and I just listened to the uh, show uh, uh, looking back at 1973, and if I didn't feel older today, I, I certainly did after hearing that show. Uh, but what a great, great show it was. A uh, lot of fun memories of the, fun memories of Disney World at that time. Uh, I do remember seeing the water skiing shows, uh, the, the Diamond Horseshoe Jubilee. Um, back then, we really loved going to uh, Tom Sawyer's Island. And uh, I remember we, uh, you know, we were about uh, five or six going into uh, Injun Joe's Cave. And my parents used to love to make it a little bit more exciting than it probably was. Uh, essentially, they uh, took what was, you know, pretty much a straight-through uh, cave and made it seem like a winding uh, labyrinth. And uh, my sister and I, uh, who was young, my sister was younger than me, and I, we would, we would be terrified every time we went in there. And In fact, one time, uh, while we were in there, a uh, uh, senior couple came by, uh, a bunch of senior citizens, a uh, couple, and uh, my parents told us that uh, they were kids when they first got in there and that they'd been lost all the time and, you know, look how old they are now. And if we weren't scared before that, we we were terrified. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Looking back at that uh, fun they had at our expense uh, in the cave there, um, but uh, 1973 was a, was a great time, and uh, it was a great show, and great to, to hear all that. Uh, so, and as always, looking forward to the next one. Bye bye. Hey Lou, Andre, um, ALD34 on the forum. Um, I just wanted to let you know I really enjoyed your last live broadcast. It was very entertaining. And I hope you do another one soon. I love them. They're really cool. Um, just finished listening to a few shows. I'm trying to get caught up to date. I haven't listened for a while. But Christmas is right around the corner, so I'll be expecting some uh, checks in the mail from me for Christmas. So, I'll talk to you soon. Alright, take care. Bye. Hi, Lou. Just uh, wrapping up a fantastic week here at Disney. Just wanted to give a special shout-out to Susan Hopping there at Mutual of Omaha and anybody else listening there. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Rick Altman. Thank you so much for talking with me yesterday at the meet. I really enjoyed meeting you, even though I tended to babble on at length. Um, I'm the guy from Texas, went to the Oscars, told you my life story, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, if you happen to be in the parks, you're probably putting your show together, but... If you happen to be at Disney Hollywood Studios, I was coerced into signing up for American Idol Experience. I'm going to be at the 5 p.m. show today. I will sing I Can See Clearly Now. I expect Simon to tell me, if I was you, I'd see somebody about glasses, because you can't see clearly. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to do the holiday version of the song. I can see all icicles in my way. Wait for laughter. Okay, I won't do that joke. Anyway, I am singing at 5 o'clock. <laughs> uh, the Oscars, Disney Parks, American Idol. <sighs> Which of these is not like the others? Anyway, uh, just want to tell you, I, I thought it was even kind of funny that I got in. But I do play bass, as I mentioned, and I sing in a band. So 
maybe all that paid off. Anyway, it'll be fun. I'll let you know the outcome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.